Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. Hello, fellow geeks. I was once again felled by a cold, which is why this is a week late. Apologies. Squee! That's the sound of a fangirl. And fangirls squee. I've written before about the term fangirl and its current place in fandom. Of course, I'm not the only fan who's taken to reclaiming the word. Hansi Oppenheimer is a filmmaker who has considered herself a fangirl since at least the age of six, but wanted to explore what it meant to be a woman in fandom. What was originally going to be a feature film turned into the ongoing YouTube documentary project, Squee the Fangirl Project. A couple of months ago, she announced that she was going to do a mini-convention, SqueeCon, in December. I sat down with Hansi and talked about what it means to be a fangirl, her approach to creating the documentary, and where she wants to go from here. I'm Hansi Oppenheimer, and I'm the creator of the Squee Project. And that's part of the reason why we're here, the Squee Project. Uh, your history, uh, you consider yourself in the uh, in your bio a fangirl since, I think I read, the age of eight? Uh, I, think, I think I was born a fangirl, but I might have recognized it, you know, around that age, but... Uh... Now, I just did a podcast for Zestful Aging where I was the interviewee, and I had to kind of explain what a fangirl was and how that, di- how that differs from what people normally call a fan, and then the more known term of a fanboy. How do you define what a fangirl is? I think the difference is the way we interact with the text, you know, whether it's a film, a movie, a book, that we interact with it in a certain way, and... Um, whether it's just, you know, in our home, in our heads, or we go out and cut to cons and interact with other fans, or we do it in terms of writing fanfic or making films about it. We're not just consuming media. We are reciprocating with the media. And, and that's also, it's, it's sort of a journey, sort of discovery of self as well. The Squee Project, uh, obviously, uh, hopefully most of the people who listen to this podcast are already familiar with the concept of what a Squee is, but define what Squee is. Um, it's, it's a fangirl term for uh, like a squeal of glee and joy and excitement. You know, when you, there's new words and you're just so thrilled, you're just like, Squee! now um in my own research for for fangirls and and for my why i hesitate to call myself a fangirl uh, essay that i wrote for my my thesis i talk about the the inherent misogyny in the term of fangirl and how that that's slowly been changing and that a lot of women myself including are trying to reclaim the term do you feel that that's getting better or is there still a high misogynistic content concept behind the term fangirl and squee uh, um, <laughs> well, I, I think it's getting better because there are more women talking about it. And, you know, for the most part, I mostly interact with women in terms of fandom. So I'm seeing the people who are already converted. On the fringes, you know, people coming into fandom, I, I'm not sure, but the people who are already pretty dedicated to fandom, 
women have been in fandom forever, you know, and there's a huge network of us. And, you know, we've created transmedia since, you know, the beginning of fandom. I think most people coming into fandom might not know that, but the people who are, you know, who, who were in fandom daily, they do. Now, do you, have you yourself encountered any kind of, of misogyny with what, while being a fangirl? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, especially initially before I sort of uh, made this my life's mission <laughs> to reclaim this term, you know, because I was a band fangirl. So it was always sort of like, oh, then you're a groupie. It's like, no, <laughs> no, that's not what that means. You know, they're not synonymous. I mean, you can be if you want to be, but it's not necessarily the same thing. Well, and uh, speaking of being a groupie, uh, one of your first projects was writing the documentary Color Me Obsessed, which was about the replacement, and it was more about the fandom. Tell me a little bit about that. It took me about 10 years to get made, and, um, you know, I initially was going to make it about the band, and then I had no access, so I started talking to fans, and I kind of fell in love with fandom, and uh, one of the guys from the band while I was shooting in the parking lot one night after a show, asked me what I was doing, and I told him, and he said, well, the fans were always more interesting than we ever were. And I kind of thought, you know, you got a point there. <laughs> there was a certain point when, to get the film out, I had to give up a lot of control of it. So it, it's not the happiest memory for me, that film. And um, I kind of stepped away from um, working on bigger projects because of that. So I, I'd prefer to do smaller projects and be in control of them at this point. Okay, so how did that, uh, you get from there to, to doing the Squee Project? Uh, tell me kind of your, your story of going from one to the other. Uh, well, there was a couple of years where I thought, I'm never making a film again. Screw this. <laughs> and then um, I discovered uh, Transmedia. And it came in from the fanfic side. And I thought, wow, isn't this interesting? You know, look at this. There's all these people writing these stories. And it's like, it's so punk rock and so DIY. And I love this. And Fans are, you know, taking back the stories and, and making them what they want, not necessarily what the networks or, you know, the executives want. And I thought that was really cool. So I tried to do a documentary about that, but no one would talk to me. And this was like 2012. And um, people were really shy about talking about, you know, they've, they'd been burned by media before talking about slash fiction and nobody wanted to talk to me. And then the Harry Potter community <laughs> heard about it and they were like sure we'll tell you whatever you want to know come to our convention <laughs> and they just uh they let me in and let me see you know what was happening with cosplay and fanfic and you know their passion and social justice and they were really wonderful i mean i'm not a harry potter fan <laughs> but i really am a big fan of their fandom so in terms of the squee project itself that kind of tell me the process of of you know, how, how many episodes are we at currently? What makes you determine uh, you know, what is going to be a topic of an episode, that kind of thing? Well, so initially it was going to be a feature film. And then I had a huge problem with getting an editor that would actually take care of, you know, do the work. You know, that's a big problem with documentary projects, especially if you don't have a big budget. Editors, you know, don't want to take the time to sort through your stuff. Um, we wrote a script. It didn't happen. Um, I finally scaled it down. And decided I would only work with women going forward. And that's what I've done. And I have two women that, you know, help me either with post or writing or various aspects of the pro project. Um, Lindsay Burness and Shanisha Scott. We've actually only, there's only two episodes right now of Squee, the web series. I mean, I have about 50 or 60 episodes of various things on my YouTube channel. Um, interviews, con coverage, ACA fandom, blogs. 
fan campaigns, guest vlogs, but the, the Screw Web series only has two episodes. Um, they're both about identity, um, and we're just finishing up the third one in that arc in post. And then we're going to move to a different topic within fandom. I think we're going towards alternative narratives, but uh, we'll see how it pans out once we start shooting. So what in your mind uh, is the difference between an actual episode of the Squee Project and the other videos that are on your YouTube channel? Uh, the Squee Project, the, the, the webisodes are, you know, little films within themselves. I mean, they, they can stand up at a film festival. They can, you know, they take about... 40 hours of post-production. Whereas the other ones, I mean, I can edit one in a couple hours. They're pretty casual. A lot of them are just, you know, blogs with, you know, B-roll. The episodes are like, you know, constructed as narratives. Well, and speaking of uh, interviews and whatnot, you are also looking for videos yourself uh, for for other creators, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I always am. When I first started making art, I did these very like Fluxus. Do you know about Fluxus? You know who they were? mm they were this art movement like in the 70s and um, like John Cage, Yoko Ono, a lot of people were involved in this and they'd send out a prompt and then everyone would sort of do an art piece based on that prompt, which is similar to what fanfic does, right? Yeah. So I was doing those in like the 80s with the artists I knew and then would get these pieces, limited edition pieces and put them in plastic bags and, you know, sell them as these limited edition pieces. And, and so the, the, the films are kind of like that. I asked people to send videos, like even the replacement stock started out that way. I asked people to record their own videos talking about, you know, fandom and would give them a list of questions to answer. And so uh, I, I kind of like that whole sort of collecting media aspect of it. Cool. Oh, well, and for the full disclosure, for those of the, in the audience, I actually have been uh contemplating uh, submitting a video myself i personally don't feel like i look good on video so that's the big hurdle for me but um one of the things i've been talking about a lot lately including in that zestful aging podcast is the concept of, of fangirling over 40 basically the older fans and how the misogyny is even worse for women once they reach a certain age you are of a certain age <laughs> <laughs> yourself may I, without to, to, to be I, i'm 58 i'm 58 and I'm awesome with it. It's, it's, I love being an older woman. I've never been happier. It's just amazing. You know, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, you just don't care about anymore. And uh, one of those being what other people think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've run out of F's to give basically. Yeah, <laughs> Do you feel that there's a, a, a age ism in, in fandom? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, people want fangirls to be you know the young you know 20 some odd you know naive little girl who's going to squeal and you know but most of the women in fandom i know are of a certain age and they're librarians and teachers and researchers and you know they're not teenagers i mean i'm sure there are teenagers but like they're they're women who've made fandom their life's work and, and they're you know wonderful and nothing nothing wrong for being teenagers as well but <laughs> no but it, it's just the usual like when you get to be an older woman you're kind of invisible which you know has its good points and bad points too yeah no i i talk about how the the one thing that frustrates me is that you know aunt may has progressively gotten younger each reboot <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about your your uh, documentary and directing uh, process in terms of uh, the two episodes. Walk me through, you know, what made you, um, how you came up with, you know, what you were going to focus on that episode, what you constitute a documentary versus maybe just a general Q&A, that kind of thing. Um, 
Plus. Let's see. So, well, Lynn and I, when we wrote the, the feature script, we had broken it because I pretty much was asking when I was shooting all the interviews, because I shot hundreds of interviews for the original documentary that I still have and have not used. I had a list of questions, you know, maybe 10 questions. So then we broke down the script and pulled the best sound bites for each of those questions. And basically, the first episode is like the first question. <laughs> so. It just became about like, you know, do you identify as a fangirl? You know, how and what do you think about the term? And then the second was just about like, you know, cosplay and using costuming and cosplay to discover your identity, you know, especially for people who are non-binary or, you know, not stereotypically pretty or, you know, any of those things. Or, or trans, for example. Yeah, exactly. To reconcile those different parts of yourself. Now, um, how much of it do you do yourself and how much of it is, you, you mentioned a co-writer. Do you do everything yourself? Or are you one of those people like me who has to do everything themselves? Well, so with the first episode, um, Chinesha did most of the editing. I wasn't doing a lot of editing. With the second episode, Chinesha was busy, so I just had to do it. And now I do most of the editing on all the stuff on my website. In fact, I do all the editing, actually. And out of curiosity, what do you use to edit? Um, I'm using iMovie right now. Oh, cool. I mean, I can use Final Cut, but I honestly just want to keep it really simple. You know, for the the ones that are going to screen in festivals, those I get Chinese in on to help me finesse the edits. But for my YouTube channel, I just cut and <laughs> slice and dice, you know, and just do the best I can. Well, I mean, I, I worked in post for many years. I was a tape librarian, and then I was an ingest operator, and a dub, I worked at Dub House. Um, I, I know how to edit. I just don't really... I, I, I'm just not a snob about the way things are made. I'd rather do them hard and fast than... And I like seeing the cracks and stuff. Now, you're in uh, New York City, correct? I am. Have you always lived there, or did you get there... No, no, I, I was born here. Um, I lived in L.A. for about five or six years, but, you know, New York, born here and back here. And, and now uh, New York's obviously a big hub of entertainment media, second only to, to L.A., what with all the TV stations that are still there and whatnot. Uh, do you find being in New York helps? So I'm sort of, I, I've sort of seen myself as outside the industry. I really do. I don't really, I mean, when I was in L.A., I, I worked in the industry. And for the kind of stuff I do, it's, it's not you know, and I don't want to edit somebody else's stuff all day and then come home and edit mine. I actually work in box office. So I work in event stuff, but it's not, you know, film industry or, and so when I come home, I really want to edit, you know, it's not like I've been editing for 10 hours on somebody else's stuff. I mean, I've done extra work in the past. I've done, you know, lots of stuff in the, in the business, but, um, I kind of don't like the business. <laughs> Now back to the Squee Project. You you've had uh, a bit of a year uh, with regards to that. You've been submitting to a lot of film festivals, from what I've seen on your on your posts and whatnot. Tell me a little bit about that um, experience. Yeah, we've done okay with it. Um, we've gotten a number of semifinalist awards and two best of awards for the pilot. I'm not sure how they divide up for the semifinalist awards. Yeah, they've screened in the UK, in uh, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. I mean, they've, they've screened Stiff Festival. I mean, a lot of really cool festivals. It's been really fun. And I screen them. I do panels at cons and talk, screen them there and then talk about, you know, women and fandom. And those are also really fun. And that's a good segue to talk about uh, the 
con that you're going to be doing, SqueeCon, in uh, the December. Uh, again, full disclosure, I have purchased a full-page ad for the SqueeCon <laughs> program, so I am a financial supporter of sorts of SqueeCon. So, uh, but uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what, may, what prompted you to do SqueeCon, and tell me about you know the format of it and what you hope to achieve by it. Well, honestly, it kind of fell on my lap. My niece is in New Haven and had been a stage manager for years, and there was a restored theater within a few blocks of her home. And she pitched, you know, a squeeze screening and they loved the idea. And then, you know, reached out to me to discuss it with them. And, you know, I only have so much content. I thought, well, maybe we can help support other women who make, you know, these kind of projects, you know, and that would be a really cool thing. So just kind of grew from there. It's going to be December 1st, uh, 1 to 9 p.m. at the Lyric Hall Theater in New Haven. And we have a bunch of short films that are screening probably in two blocks um, with a woman in a major production role, whether producer, director, editor, writer. We have uh, a bunch of amazing cosplay guests. They're really amazing. They make amazing work. And they're going to do some practical demonstrations on how to cosplay and how to build. We have vendors, you know, of all sorts, you know, from, you know, snacks to art. We have a couple of performances. Tea Time for Mad Girls is this great, uh, they cosplay and they also do musicals. They wrote a brown coats musical and they're going to do some of their musical parodies. And Kat Smith is also a cosplayer and plays ukulele and she's going to do a performance. And um, we are going to swear in all the fangirls <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the fangirl oath that I wrote. And then we're going to close out the party for the last two hours at the bar with nerd karaoke. And if somebody was interested in participating um, in terms of being on a panel or being in that thing, what do they need to know? Uh, well, they can reach out to me at squeefilm at gmail.com and they can rent a table. We have tables for 25 or $50 to rent for the vendors. Cosplay guests can reach out to me directly. Filmmakers can submit through Film Freeway Squeecon and you can purchase tickets also on uh, Film Freeway. Awesome. Now, um, there's been a couple of, of high-profile cons that crashed and burned, uh, shall we say. The, the, the Tumblr con, the, the one that uh, the Black Girl Nerds were doing. This is obviously a much smaller con. You're only doing the one day for, for eight hours. Um, I, but I, it's always prompted me, um, having attended cons and having sort of helped plan one back in Kansas City, uh, of the process of planning a con. Now, uh, you said that that part of it was because the the they were wanting to screen the movie and, but you wanted to do more than that in terms of that actual process of, of planning the con, how did you determine like what all you were going to do that it was just one day versus two or, you know, a whole weekend, uh, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't make decisions like that. I just <laughs> do it. I just, that's just, I just do stuff. And I, you know, one day is enough. You know, I, I was just talking on the phone to someone else and they were like, well, this is how you need to do if you want to grow this as a business. And I'm like, this is one thing. I'm doing one thing. You know, let's just, let's get through this and we'll see how, you know, I may never ever want to do this again. You know, <laughs> Let's just get through this. I'm just kind of looking at it as it's a party to celebrate women in fandom. And I mean, whenever I go to a con, I usually end up at the bar and I usually text everyone I know there saying, I'm at this bar and fangirls will come and hang out with me in between panels and stuff. And usually you'll end up with three or four fangirls hanging out. And so this is just kind of like a larger version of that. <laughs> I will be at this bar. People can come and hang out. We're going to show some stuff. We're going to have some fun. And everyone can network. 
and that that's kind of what it is okay so you planned it more like a party and less like a con <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah hi i'm angelique jude writer of male male romance novels the beach house and jesse smile among others and i'm geeking out today with angie fiedler sutton you can find Contents May Vary, the home of the Geek Out podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash contentsmayvary. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at the handle Angie F. Sutton. Be sure to give me a review over on iTunes or Stitcher. Finally, I have a newsletter. Be sure to sign up for it over at angiefsutton.com. And now, back to my interview with Hansi Oppenheimer, the woman behind the documentary series Squee, the Fangirl Project. Once uh, SqueeCon has happened, what is in the future for you for the Squee project and and for the the documentary itself? Um, well, we still have to finish post on the third episode in this identity arc. We've shot it all, but I don't think we're going to have time to get it done before SqueeCon. SqueeCon's taking up a lot more of my time than I, as usual, had <laughs> thought it would. Somehow it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Yeah, so that's going to take up some time. And then I'm doing a panel at the Popular Culture Association's convention. It's one of the, like, the fan, um, you know, the ACA fan cons in D.C. with Lindsay Burness, one of my partners. And we're going to talk about the project and probably screen a couple episodes or whatever we have there. And then I'm hoping to get to San Diego this year. I've never been. So that's kind of the plan for this year. Ooh, and it's the 50th this year, too, for San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, God, I hope it doesn't make it harder to get to. I've been wanting to go for years, and when I lived in L.A., you could just go. And I never did, and now I'm like, hopefully, I mean, I have a hotel room. So even if I don't get a badge, I'm just going to go and wander around. I'm sure that'll be fun, too, but. Now uh, you mentioned being uh, the ACA fan, and we've talked. Uh, we've you mentioned that a couple of times there. For those who are unfamiliar with the term, ACA fan is academic fan. Uh, tell me a little bit about what that means to you. I'm a geek. I mean, I of all the fan stuff, I love meta the most. There are a lot of books, uh, like essays. You know, maybe essays on Sherlock or essays on Joss Whedon's work. And then, you know, they talk about different aspects of the work and uh, they're really interesting. And I love that thing, that kind of thought. I mean, I'd be an ACA fan if I had any interest in going back to school again, but I already did my degree in film production and probably will never get out of debt for that. So, (laughs) Well, do you feel that the documentary is basically studying fandom in that style? I, I don't know. I couldn't say. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm just doing it in my style. I don't know if the criteria would be correct for fan studies. I mean, I'm just studying fandom uh, the way I think fandom is interesting. So, but I, I know there are fan studies groups who've screened it at their classes. So it is of interest to them. I'm just not sure it fits in the criteria directly. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. It's like you had before we started recording, you asked me if I was an ACA fan. I was like, and I was like, I hesitated because it's like technically my degree's not in fandom, but I covered fandom in my degree, so sort of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love pop culture. It's just, it's really interesting and and different ways of people, you know, participating in it. I love art and I love talking to artists. I always have. So I don't know. I'm just doing what I do. I don't really. I don't really have a name for it except squee. <laughs> well, my I'm always a big fan of the question why. Why do you think this fascinates you? Oh dear God. <laughs> you know, so I have this really interesting 
conversation with Ben Edlund. Creator of the tip. Yeah. So I had a press badge for New York Comic Con this year. So I was so thrilled because I have loved his work forever from like wishful thinking on Supernatural to, you know, some of his episodes, Angel. I mean, he's got a really unique reality in his head. So when I was interviewing him, he started talking about this obsession he has with the tip, like that he's, you know, he's a one trick pony and all that. And it's like, not necessarily that, but I do understand, like, there are things that just interest you and you just keep picking at them and you can't, I, I don't know what that is with art, but I think that's true of most artists. You know, we find one thing, one area that fascinates us and we just have to keep, like, researching it and trying to understand it. And I, I don't know what that is. Obsession is what it is, actually. <laughs> uh, no, I, I totally agree with you. And it's it's weird how, how some things that were you were so obsessed with at one point now barely, in, in, you know, sometimes barely interest you. I used to be really into Quantum Leap. And now, I mean, I still like the show. I've, uh, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not obsessive love like I was when I uh, started getting into the fandom in 2000 which where i came across slash fiction for the first time as well um and it's like i barely think about it nowadays and i think a good chunk of that is because it's no longer being created it's not like i'm seeing it every day on my tumblr dash like i am certain other shows but it's also you know just a matter of my interests moved on to something else and so now i'm focused on something else <laughs> well sure i mean i there was a point when i discovered buffy and like there were years there where i could you know, when things were really bad in my life, I would just hole up in my room and watch Buffy over and over and like, you know, weep and be cathartic. And, and now like, I listen to Buffering the podcast, which is brilliant, but I never watch the show anymore. I mean, I don't need to, I know every single line in every <laughs> single episode, but I just, I can't watch it because I, I just lived it for so many years. You know, it's, you know, I mean, it can still appreciate it through somebody else's eyes. Now, you mentioned uh, talking to Ben Edlund, and I know on your YouTube channel, you have a couple of interviews with other creators. Uh, who is the one person you're the most proud of of getting an interview with? Oh, boy. Um, well, Joe Lansdale, and not just because he's probably my favorite writer, but also because he's probably the nicest human I've run into that's also a celebrity. When I reached out to him on Twitter to interview him, I was going to be in Houston. He said, you know, come have lunch with me in Nagadocious. So I went and had lunch with him and his wife in Nagadocious and then sat down and interviewed him. He was just so real and so nice. And I walked away feeling like I'd made a new friend. And uh, I kind of have. Like he, uh, I've been working on a piece about the return of Joe Bob Briggs. And I reached out to a bunch of people for their thoughts on Joe Bob. And Lan I reached out to Joe Lansdale and like the next day he sent me this incredibly beautifully written piece. And I was in awe that he wrote a piece, you know, for me for this. And then I was, I didn't want to ask him again. Cause I was kind of like, Oh, well, I don't want to keep asking him for stuff. So I was trying to find an actor to read it. And then I couldn't find anyone who could read it the way he did. So I reached out to him again. I was like, listen, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone can read it the way you can read it. Could you just, and we'll record it. And he did, and we did, and it's so beautiful. It makes me tear up every time I try to edit it. <laughs> so meeting him and the interview with him is really great. Also, Orlando Jones, too, is pretty amazing because he's uh, he refers to himself as a fangirl, and uh, his take on fandom is uh, he's an Acker fan. 
<laughs> it's really yeah no i i've i've come across a lot of the stuff he's done and yeah i i really appreciate how he interacts with the fans he's amazing yeah i mean he just he blew me away like just between charisma and intelligence like i was just kind of like okay oh and bj trimble too because you know she's like the og fangirl now you mentioned uh joe bob briggs that's actually was going to be my next question is is you seem to have a bit of a, a fangirl appreciation of of him why joe bob briggs uh you know i i well all right besides the cowboy kink thing <laughs> just to be really clear here um I, you know, I mean, he's really, really smart and I love really, really smart people. And he's totally into meta. When he talked about films, it was all the meta, like hearing him talk about the Italian film industry during a screening of Demones, you know, or, or anything like that was always amazing to me. And part of the reason I became, wanted to become a filmmaker was filmmakers like John Waters and stuff. So here was this guy talking about those kind of films, but with a meta aspect. So it kind of all came home for that. Is there somebody, a, a white whale that you are hoping to get uh, interview wise? Um, you know, I pretty much want to interview everybody. <laughs> I, I really do. It's, I ask almost everybody and then, you know, see what happens. Cause a lot of times it's just a matter of scheduling or, I mean, I'd love to talk to Ron Perlman at some point. I'd love to talk to Richard Dean Anderson, but I just came from Rhode Island Comic Con. So those are in my head. Now, uh, interviewer to interviewer, uh, tell me a little bit more about how you approach your interviews. I mean, I, I'm assuming it's very similar to how I do it, but I've also learned that everybody is different uh, um, in terms of, you know, do you try and keep it, uh, uh, you know, more ca casual, conversational? Do you have a series of set questions that you want to ask? Is it a little bit of both? Yeah, I usually have a series of set questions just because in terms of editing, I've discovered that if you let people go on too long, it's a nightmare to cut it down. So I used to let people, I mean, I have interviews with some amazing people that, you know, like two hour interviews and, you know, it's hellish trying to find, like there was one point when we were trying to put the script together for the original editor I had and uh, for the feature of Squeak. And I didn't have any transcripts. All I had was hundreds and hundreds of hours of tapes. So I reached out to the Fangirl Network on Twitter and Facebook and all the social media and said like, hey, I need these tapes transcribed. I'll give you a t-shirt if you transcribe a couple. So all these fangirls were transcribing all these interviews. And of course, even though I sent them like a format for like, this is how you do the time code and everything, mm, there were a lot of variations. <laughs> yeah, but it got done. It was amazing. I mean, it was, it was really kind of miraculous to watch like you know, and then more people got involved too because reading the interviews, they could see other fangirls had had similar experiences to them. So it was very affirming for them. Now, is uh, your interviews all video, or do you do some just audio only, like my you know podcast, like myself? Uh, I've only done the audio only recently for this Joe Bob thing. For the most part, I would just do video. But for Joe Bob, I was reaching out to like Fenguli and some people that you know there were no way. You know, I was going to get a camera person to Chicago to do it. So, you know, we just, I have a friend who is building his own podcast and he was helping me with the audio for that stuff. Now, one of my very first, actually my very first podcast interview for this podcast anyway, was with Travis Ritchie, who plays Inspector Space Time on Community and created his own web series on it. And one of the things we talked about was how much easier it was for him 
as a creator, thanks to it being 2018 and and the intervention inter, invention of the internet and how that helped. You know, video cameras are so much cheaper now, and editing is so much easier now because everything's so digital. You said you've had a history in in film and industry for since the 90s. So obviously, you at one time you know actually cut tape literally. <laughs> uh, do you find it easier or harder or just different? So when I, I went to film school in my 30s, I went kind of late. So um, while I was in film school, uh, we were going in that, you know, my first year we were, you know, editing on Steambacks and Moviolos. And by the second year we were doing Adobe Premiere. And then the third year it was Avid. Um, so, and then I worked in post and the tape libraries. And the entire time I was working on tape libraries, everybody kept saying, we're going digital. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know, you'd still have the original three quarter and then you'd have, you know, digibeta and then, you know, so you'd have every format ever, as it goes along and you just have to like, you know, archive all of those things. It's taken a lot longer to go all digital, but yeah, it's great. I mean, I shoot a lot of stuff on my phone. Um, I find, you know, if I bring out, I mean, I have a small camera. I just have a little Vixia Canon. It's a really nice HD camera, but it's still, if you pull out that kind of camera with a, a shotgun mic, you get a different reaction than if I just pick up my phone and say, hey, you want to answer a couple questions? You know, the phone can be a lot less intimidating. You can pull it out in places where you might not be able to bring out, you know, the big guns. You said you do some of the editing yourself, post-production. Uh, do you count that separate than editing or is that part of editing? Oh, that's part of editing. Yeah. I mean, I had one person sweeten the first episode and I decided I would never do that again because I didn't like the way that it sounded. Yeah, I like it kind of rough, and I'd rather do it myself. I just, uh, you know, I'd rather be Stan Brackage than Steven Spielberg. Now, um, is Squee Project going to be pretty much taking up your time for the near future, or do you have another project in your mind? Well, that's a nice thing about Squee. It's kind of an umbrella now where I can, you know, do the con coverage. I can do the ACOFAM things. I can do vlogs. I can do interviews. I can do the webisodes. So I feel like the Squee Project is just sort of about you know, me interacting with pop culture. So I, I can see that just being it forever, you know, and what am I, almost 60? How many years do I got? What? <laughs> I don't expect any great revelations in the next 20 or 30 years, but who knows, you know, who knows. I would like to do some horror stuff. Oh, that's good. Yeah, no, horror's a, a whole genre in and of itself. And I'm a huge fan, you know, I just, you know, then you have to have, actors and sets and I don't know I mean I started doing documentary because even in film school it was always impossible to get a crew together mm -hmm. so with documentary it was just me and my camera I could just go talk to someone so I don't know I would like to do horror one day and we have some ideas but I don't know if that's if, I, if I'm capable of getting a group together to actually do it now before I uh, wrap up this interview uh, is there anything that uh, you wanted me to ask that we haven't or something that you wanted to cover that we didn't well, um, we definitely want people to come to SqueeCon. It'll be a really good time. It's a really good place to network and show your stuff. You know, everybody's sort of on the same level there. It's not like, you know, they're the performers and then you're, you know, you're the audience. It's like everybody's welcome and is in everyone's invited. It's, it's, it's a party in my fandom and everyone's invited. If you want to uh, say what that website is and spell it out. Well, it's Film Freeway. If you go to it's Film Freeway slash SqueeCon. And then you'll see the ticket button right there. Now, um, it, where can people learn more about you specifically? Um, well, they can follow me at Trouble Girl. And it's Troubled, not Trouble, <laughs> on Twitter. 
and um, I'm also on Facebook as Hansi Oppenheimer and would really helpful if they want to subscribe to my YouTube channel. That could definitely use more subscribers. And that's Squee the Fangirl Documentary Project. And Fangirl is G-R-R-L. Awesome. Now, all of those links will be in my show notes as well for those of you who are regular followers. Now, my final question that I try and ask everybody I interview, na uh, name one specific thing that you are currently geeking out about and why. <laughs> well, Preacher. Preacher is pretty much my favorite show these days, although I'm, I'm in purgatory right now waiting for the new season. <laughs> Um, That's almost as bad as Droughtlander. <laughs> oh, I love Droughtlander. That's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, or Helenus for Supernatural. Um, yeah, I uh, I knew um, Steve Dillon and Garth Ennis from the 90s. They were friend, friends of a close friend of mine. And whenever they came to the States, when they were writing Preacher, they'd hang out and have drinks and stuff. And um, when the show came on, I was, you know, you love the text. You're like, okay, let's see what they do. And it was amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And so I wrote to Steve and Garth and said, you know, congratulations. So happy for you guys. And I did get to see Steve when he was at Comic-Con a couple of years ago before he passed away. And he drew me this really beautiful, drunken, fucked up Constantine. Because <laughs> they also wrote Hellblazer. Yeah. So, but Preacher is just, um, I've turned a bunch of people onto it. And everyone's like, I don't know what's going on. I was like, that doesn't matter. It's just <laughs> awesome. Just, just go with it. What about <laughs> it draws you? Um, it's irreverent. It's uh, unexpected. They they just take it so much farther than you'd imagine. And I love that. I love to. I mean, you know, I watch so much media that things become tropes really easily. And you're like, oh, here we go. You know, I know where this is going to go. With Preacher, you never know. It's like, what? <laughs> what is going on? Did Tulip just tell God he's an asshole? Like, okay, cool. <laughs> And, you know, Tulip is also just an amazing female character. What a great role model. I mean, she made a bazooka out of, like, tin cans. Awesome. <laughs> I will admit I'm not familiar with it, although I think my wife uh, read the comics. Uh, so. Oh, you should try. You should try it. I think you'd love it. And now it's time for Angie Geeks Out. On November 12th, 2018, Stan Lee passed away. The comic book writer and publisher was beloved by many, especially in the geek world and created many of the Marvel creations that I know and love. While I never got a chance to interview the man, I did come close. Once was at Kamikaze in 2014, when he announced his partnership with LiveJournal, and once when I was lucky enough to attend the red carpet of the Extraordinary Stan Lee event. Both of these will be linked in my show notes. In the many tributes to him when he passed, it dawned on me that I probably first really started knowing about who he was, thanks to his cameo in the Kevin Smith movie Mallrats of all places, filmed back before he was really doing the cameos in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we all know and love. I may not be much of a comic book fan, but I am a Marvel fan, and anyone who knows Marvel knows that it was Stan's influence that made the characters as human as they were. His influence on the geek world, as well as the world overall, was huge, and he will be sorely missed. Excelsior, Stan. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to Hansi for taking the time for me to interview her. As mentioned, you can find out more about her and the Squee Project and SqueeCon over at filmfreeway.com slash SqueeCon. That's S-Q-U-E-E-C-O-N. Thanks also to Angelique Jurd for her plug. I plan on interviewing her, hopefully in the next month or so, on her work as an ACA fan studying the Supernatural fandom. But she also gets a special shout-out for supporting me on Patreon. 
For as little as $1 a podcast, you can support Geek Out and read some behind-the-scenes stories of each of my episodes. The $5 level gets you the podcast a smidge early and maybe some other goodies to come. Visit patreon.com slash Angie F. Sutton for all the information about it. Next up, I'm going to do the second episode in my Geek Girls interview series, this time with Sora Rays, who I know thanks to the Sherlock family. Until next time, stay geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Picknickin, available via the Free Music Archive. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. More information about the podcast is available on AngieFSutton.com.